Hello, listeners, and welcome to Funk Radio. God, that was bad. Well, it's, it's pretty on par with our usual introductions. Touche. This is your host, Peter. And this is your host, Kyle. For those of you that don't know, listeners, we're separately melting. Uh, yes. What's the temperature in Portland there, Peter? Uh, today, very hot weekend. Uh, it's hitting 100, which is it, not terribly common, but it does happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to sound like a baby now because it's only like 90 here, but I'm still sweating. Basically, if it gets anywhere above 80, then I get sad. Cranky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. I I don't mind temperatures in the 70s, but once it starts to hit 80, it's like, okay, not cool, son. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that was our weather corner. <laughs> How's traffic today, Kyle? Uh, traffic from the traffic cab. Uh, everyone's dying and they, uh, there's fires on the freeway. Cool. Um, so listeners, we haven't mentioned this to you yet, but... Spoiler alert, this is actually going to be our last episode before we take a break for the, not for the entire summer, it'll only be about a month. Yeah, um, I'm traveling to a couple of weddings, and Peter's doing I'm traveling. Something. I'm traveling next weekend, and then after that my family will be here for quite a while, so um, we're going we're gonna to take a break for about a month, um, have a little summer hiatus. I can dig it. Uh, we've definitely taken longer breaks just because <laughs> we were lazy yeah pretty much so shouldn't be too big of a deal so yeah this this episode idea actually came from two episodes ago yeah yeah we were talking it was the uh no wait it might have been three yeah i i don't remember which order i released them in sometimes uh it was it was the um yeah that was three episodes ago number 155 uh we did an episode about songs with false endings that's right and um we mentioned near the end that we shouldn't confuse songs with false endings with secret tracks because, I mean, there is some tiny, you know, similarity between the two phenomenons, phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we we said in that episode, hey, we should do a, another topic on that. So, yeah, and yeah, uh, we're going to do that in doing some research on the history of secret tracks. It's actually a lot more interesting than uh, <laughs> than false endings. Yeah, and um, I got to hand this to you because we had this idea and I was like, well, I don't know if it's going to be interesting enough for, ex- for us to actually do it. But then once you did some research, you found that this is actually super interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, there yeah. was such like a history behind it, I guess. Well, and and the like the many different types as yeah, well. Exactly. I, I only was thinking of um, probably one of the more common ones that people know nowadays is at the last track of an album, mm-hmm. there'll be some silence for like a minute or two. And then another track will play, but it's in the same track. It's just not listed in the yeah. track list. Um, but, I mean, we found probably half a dozen different types, yeah. if not more, um, beyond that. So I, I think that's pretty interesting, and I'm looking forward to doing this one. For sure. Um, yeah, so we're going to run you guys through kind of the history of what secret tracks are. For those of you that don't know, as Peter kind of said, it's a track hidden on an album in some form that's not listed in the track listing as kind of a bonus if you discover it good for you kind mm-hmm. of kind of kind of an easter egg uh uh for yeah. listeners i guess i mean I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know of like video game easter eggs or whatever so same idea or literal easter eggs 
Yes, filled with gold and bunny shits uh, <laughs> and chocolate, chocolate bunny shits. So yeah. <laughs> no, are those shits from chocolate bunnies? No, they're chocolate shits from regular bunnies. God damn it. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, and I didn't know this at all, the first occurrence of a secret track on an album was completely by accident. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't intend to do it at all. Um, and that track is the Beatles' Her Majesty, which appears at the end of their 1969 album, Abbey Road. Now, um, Can I interrupt and say no, something yeah, really quick? So um, we decided, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to structure this episode by going through the different types of hidden tracks that there are. Um, the first, in this little, first little section, we're going to talk about the one I just mentioned, where the track is kind of included at the end of the last track of the mm-hmm. of the album. But then after, you know, we'll we'll notify you when we're ch- changing types each time, obviously. I just wanted to mention that. Um, to be clear, also, I want to I want to make sure that listeners don't confuse hidden tracks with bonus tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very similar concepts, but the bonus tracks are typically included in the in the track list, mm-hmm. and they're considered bonuses because they may only be included on like an extended version of the album or something or some special edition. Um, but they're not hidden per se. It's just they're only included on certain versions of the album Mm -hmm. whereas this is like not supposed to be easily findable yeah yeah so anyway hence the term hidden i guess yes Um, so please continue no you're good so um so yeah this this song her majesty by the beatles um ended up on the end of their abbey road album and the way that came about was a um studio assistant named john kurlander um was going through the track listing with uh, Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney's like, oh, I like it, but take out the song, Her Majesty, it doesn't fit. And because, I guess, of studio editing rules at the time, uh, it dictated that in the, I guess, uh, what you would call a mix-down or something of the album, any, um, any edited material had to be left at the end of the mix. So... Kurlander left about 20 seconds of blank audio and then just threw it at the end. Um, or whatever. Now, I didn't... Sorry to interrupt again. I, I didn't really get the reasoning for that. Is that just so that, that they had a record of... Like, on file of any editing that they did, even if they don't keep it for the final Exactly, because it album. wasn't the final mix. Um, it was just edited material. It was kind of like a rough a rough track or rough okay. album. Um any changes they did or stuff they took out, they kept in, they just moved it to the end as like a denotation of like, hey, this has changed. or Like an appendix way. or something. Exactly. And they would make a note of, what, of what's changing or what's happening with it. Gotcha. Um, so once he um, had this rough mix down, he accidentally put it in sort of the box of master recordings uh, rather than a they basically used like a cardboard box to put their rough cuts and like a fancy box to put the master cuts, which were meant to be kind of final. He accidentally put it in the, in the finals uh, box, I guess. And he wrote a note for the mastering engineer who uh, Malcolm Davies, he's kind of like the head guy of the Mm -hmm. studio 
saying what he had done, but Davies, who had actually recently relocated to a different studio uh, called Savile Row, Apple Studio, he didn't understand what the note was about. He's just like, okay, whatever, because they're <laughs> working in two different studios, so I guess miscommunication. Uh, Kurlander's quoted as saying he like he couldn't come in he couldn't come and find me to ask, so he just went with it and cut the acetate, which, long story short, old-timey way of producing uh, master cuts for... So records. basically his boss didn't understand the note, so he just ignored it. And, and because he was working in a different studio at the time, there, he couldn't communicate and be like, what's this note about? So he's just like, oh, he basically ignored it, exactly. Yeah. So he had this, he basically took the rough cut, put it in, in uh, made it a master cut, so... When the Beatles listened to the master cut later on down the road, no pun intended, um, they were, it had finished and they started discussing it. But like 20 seconds later, Her Majesty started playing and they all like jumped and were like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> but they dug it so much that they're just like, leave it, leave it in. It's, yeah. It's a fun addition. I find so, that's a really fun story for like the first instance yeah, of the hidden track as it was just completely by accident. It was a total accident done by like a junior sound guy who probably, you know, was barely in his 20s. Yeah. Um, no, I think he's, I think I read it that he was like 18 or something. Oh, so he was, yeah, he was yeah. super young. So because, you know, he uh, obviously working hard or whatever, he made it, he missed something and accidentally put it in the wrong box and then that created what is now considered the idea of a hidden track it's just kind of funny yeah that was pretty cool should we listen to a clip of uh her majesty yeah, yeah. i like the song it's a good song it's very beatles so this is uh her majesty off abbey road she doesn't have a lot to say i want to tell her that i love her a lot but i gotta get a billy full of wine her majesty's a penny nice girl someday i want to make a mine yeah now, I it's been a while since I've listened to Abbey Road, but um, I think I was reading that there's like a multiple songs that are considered like one medley together. Kind of. And yeah, I think Her Majesty was originally going to be part of that. Yep. I think, but, right? Yeah. But they and felt then, it didn't fit with the rest of the songs as well, so they wanted to initially take it out. But then it ended up staying just separately as it's Yeah, just at thing. the end. Mm-hmm. because at that point the medley had broken because you think this album's over so it's just like here's this extra song mm-hmm. so yeah that's how the first hidden track ever was created was completely by accident yeah um some other i guess as peter said that this instance of a track showing up secretly at the end of an album isn't uh wasn't just done by the beatles this method was also done by um one of my favorite bands nirvana um, they included a hidden track on their 91 CD, Nevermind, which, instead of 20 seconds of dead audio, it was 10 minutes. So basically, I was, I was you, impressed to read that. That yeah, seems crazy. If you, left, if you accidentally left the CD running, you know, and didn't swap it out, you were treated to the song Endless Nameless um, at, the ver- at the very, I guess, the very end, hence Endless and Nameless. Mm-hmm. The song didn't have a name, and it was at the very end of a very long break. So, so did you? I mean, because you said that you really like Nirvana. So, like, assuming you had heard Nevermind previously, like, did you? Were you aware of this? I never track. 
I was never lucky enough to own an original CD of Nevermind. I've only uh, the only album CD albums I have of theirs is I have um, like a best of, and mm. then I have this huge three disc compilation album that has like tons of songs and like you know recordings from the studios that they didn't put in their albums and raw cuts and all this. Oh, crazy like a shit. box set or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, which did have the song on it, but it was like more of a rough cut of it. Gotcha. So. Interesting. I, I was not able to discover this for myself. Hmm. Well, now you listeners can discover Nameless Endless, or fuck, Endless Nameless. Uh, so yeah, that was Nameless Endless by Nirvana. Definitely a bit different. You said it backwards too. Fuck. <laughs> Endless Nameless. Endless. Got um, tongue twister. So obviously we're only going to mention a couple of songs, mm-hmm. examples of this particular type of hidden track. We're basically just mentioning some prominent ones. I want, I I read in multiple places that Endless Nameless was like one of the big ones that really started... Or I guess not started, but like got people got people thinking about that trend again. Mm-hmm. And I I haven't really found out why in particular. It's just I guess it's just an interesting case. I mean, Nirvana was pretty big, I guess, and that was if if that at the time if that wasn't really a common thing, I can see how that might. I I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if they did it in homage to the Beatles because they're uh, they were huge Beatles fans. They did a couple mm-hmm. of Beatles covers even. Um, they did, I forget the name of the Beatles song exactly, but it's like Sunny Day or Sunshine or something. They did a cover of that. Oh, Here Comes the Sun? Yep, thank you. They did okay. a cover of Here Comes the Sun. Interesting. So they were Beatles fans, so they very well may have done it. Uh, because of that. In homage to that. Hmm. I don't know. I'm stupid. I'm guessing here. Ten minute silence. So. That's pretty impressive, though. I, I, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think I I would... If I had seen that, I probably would have just assumed that like there was some error when they pressed the CDs in that yeah, like last there track. Was supposed was just... to be another track in there or something. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. As Peter said, this name, uh, "Endless Nameless" by Nirvana, kind of rejuvenated the idea of the secret track. And um, another artist that took advantage of that was Lauren Hill, who I know we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, um, she did a cover of the song "Can't Take My Eyes Off You." originally by Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, who I don't think we've actually talked about on the show, but we should at some point. They're good. I agree. Um, and this was included on her only studio album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, in 98. Um, the funny thing about this track was, despite being a secret track, it was nominated for Best Female Pop Vocal Grammy, um, but unfortunately yeah. lost out to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. And to so, be fair, I mean, if you're going to lose to something... Lose to Celine Dion. It might as well be that. <laughs> yeah, I always, um, to call, I always wanted to start a mustard company that produced different mustards and have one called Celine Dijon. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> Let me know when that happens. Okay. I will buy some. I promise. Of course. It's like Paul Newman. It just has her face on it. <laughs> Wait, it wouldn't have your face on it. No. It would if it was named after different famous people. Each. One would have oh, their, okay. their mustard face on it. I was just imagining like Kyle's Mustard Factory. 
it was the brand <laughs> and then the name of that one is just Celine Dijon. But that's okay, whatever. I, I get you. We're, we're going way too far with that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we have talked about Lauren Hill I think I don't remember what episode it was, but it was the one where we talked about artists who only release one album. Yeah, yeah. Um and I was trying to figure out today, actually, like whatever because i like i know i think she stopped making music primarily because she had some kids and then obviously that takes over your life more or less plus i want to say at at a certain point she fell into uh, tax troubles yeah i think something like that happened anyway she's released a couple of singles since then i think more recently like in the last year or two she has had a couple but there's been like no studio albums Mm since then so i was just kind of curious about what happened what you know what she had released since then but i guess that's still her only album yep um but yeah like we said um this cover of can't take my eyes off you was a hidden track and because i think because that album was such a big hit at the time i think that's another reason why this particular instance was so popular just kind of I don't really want to say riding on the coattails of the popularity of the album itself, maybe. But I mean, that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the more popular albums are going to have more well-known secret tracks. Yeah. So, and that's and that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I wonder if uh, adding those secret tracks kind of increases the longevity of an album because you know certain people discover them, they tell their friends, it becomes like a running thing. Yeah, it regenerates interest in the album. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, let's take it. Let's let's take let's take it down to Funky to Town. It. Let's take it down to Funky Town with a little clip of "Can't Take My Eyes Off You" by Lauren Hill. This is a really good cover, actually. I like this. Yeah, I mean, I I like I like it. I don't really see it as being a, a Grammy nomination, but that's just me being an asshole. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? So regarding what we were just saying a minute ago about like popular albums having hidden tracks on it and a lot of people knowing about it, I I was reading at some point that. This ten secret tracks in general tends to be kind of a popular thing among more small time bands who kind of see the secret track thing as being a a way for their kind of like smaller fan base to discover extra little pieces and stuff that they that the band leaves behind as more of like a way to like connect directly connect with their listeners mm-hmm. so I thought that was kind of an inter- it's, it's it's a little bit of an interesting contrast between that and then like a huge name like Nirvana or the Beatles or something doing it and then everybody knowing about it. Whereas with the smaller time bands, you know, it may only be a few dozen people that ever find it. Yeah. And I'm sure small bands do it as much as big bands. It's just more in tribute to their smaller fan base. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, this is a secret just for our small fan base, but only the real fans are going to find this track. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as Peter said, this this uh, this idea of putting a track at the end of a album, you know, and leaving a pause in between, isn't the only form of a secret 
uh, a hidden track, which, you know, as, as he said earlier in the show, we thought that was kind of like that was a secret track. We didn't think about any other ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, but there's, especially in the days of vinyl, I guess there were many other ways to hide a track on a record. Yeah, and I guess I can, like, take the lead on this next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, one thing I did, and following up with what you were just saying, it, I found it interesting that the different types of, like, uh, how do you say it? Like, the different methods of creating hidden tracks kind of evolved with... Uh, the formatting you know like it there's a couple different that are only working on vinyl and then there's at least one that only works on cd mm-hmm. uh, etc so i found that interesting that they're taking advantage of the medium of, that they have to the work technology with. Yeah, yeah yeah it's pretty cool so um the next type of hidden track um that you know it's in the order that we're going um is when the song is hidden on a vinyl record Within the inner groove, which is also known as a runoff groove or a runout groove, mm-hmm. um, since you are a collector of vinyl, do you want to kind of explain to listeners yeah, what that means? Yeah, um, most vinyl, when you play it, you start from the outside, the, ver- the first groove on the outer, I guess, rim of the record, and as it plays, it slowly spirals its way into the inner, I guess, label, and on any particular side that you're playing, once it reaches the end of that side, it slides into what's what Peter said is called a runoff groove, where it's just a complete circle that it will just stay stuck in forever rotating until you change it. And it makes like a little... like a Usually they have it where there's like a little pop or something, so every time it rotates it goes... Mm. And to kind of let you know, hey, you're, you need to flip it or you change your record or whatever. Yeah. But... Apparently, uh, certain uh, artists would actually hide short uh, audio samples in these inner grooves. Now, think about it mathematically, I guess. Um, the, since a record rotates at 30 RPM, uh, the yeah. inner groove is going to be a smaller trip around once than, say, the outer groove. So if you're hiding something in the inner groove, you only can really hide a small, short audio sample you're not going to hide yeah. like a three minute song exactly it's and not continually spiraling that's a really good point to make too is that in this case yeah you can't you absolutely can't hide a whole song and in this case it's you're literally only hiding like maybe one and a half seconds mm-hmm. because it's such a small circle that you know it's not going to take more than a second or two to go around mm-hmm. um so we're actually going to come back to the beatles again interestingly enough uh as one of the more prominent examples actually no i think they were they might have been the first ones to do this as well in this method. And they're like the first one to do everything. <laughs> I know. And interestingly, this was actually two years before the Abbey Road thing. Yeah, so I guess I guess in a weird way you could kinda consider this the first uh yeah. idea of a secret but it's not so much a secret song as just a secret weird audio thing. <laughs> yeah. Now I think in this case we actually might want to start with the clip. Just to yeah, so listeners just have a better idea of what we're talking about, because it's kind of hard to explain. Good idea. Um, basically, I'll just say really quick. It's basically a, like we said, it's an endless loop because it keeps keeps repeating um, mm-hmm. of basically incomprehensible voices and noises. Um, so, luckily, someone on YouTube uploaded a video of of them playing it forwards and backwards on the turntable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm actually going to play both versions of that really quick, so you listeners can hear that. 
I realize that I don't think we mentioned what album this is from. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is yeah. off their 67 album, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah. And so it's, I was reading too, it's it's interesting that they, you know, I think Sgt. Pepper was really where they you know did a lot of experimentation with their music. Mm-hmm. And they really took it as far as possible, like even doing little things like this. Mm-hmm. Things that had not been done have not been done before. They used basically every single inch they could of, of the vinyl, which is kind of neat. Um, so the last track of Sergeant Pepper, um, "A Day in a Life." Once that ends, there's apparently a 15 kilohertz high frequency tone, and John Lennon suggested that they add this with the intention that it would annoy dogs. So this is a frequency that only dogs can hear that mm-hmm. we cannot hear. So I guess to us it would just seem like silence. Mm-hmm interestingly enough um but then this is followed by this loop that you just heard of these weird sounds and uh i guess it contains backwards laughter and random gibberish obviously you know it doesn't really mean anything much in itself but a lot of people have theorized about you know the different trying to pick out different words that are being said in this kind of gibberish little clip of audio one of the more popular beliefs is that when it's being played forward People hear Lennon saying, Ben so high, followed by McCartney's response, never could be any other way. Hmm. So, yeah, John Lennon, you can never be anything other than really high, which I guess is kind of true. Yeah. But then, interestingly, when it's played in reverse, there's also theories about that. Um, The more popular one being, people think McCartney is saying, I will fuck you like Superman. (laughs) Which, (laughs) I kind of doubt that's what he was saying, but I don't know. Superman is known for his sex. Mm-hmm. Super sex. It's like that song Superman, that hoe. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to they also talk about Superman briefly and his ladies in uh, Rapper's Delight. That's so. right. Super sperm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and kind of interesting that they're taking advantage of this, like, very tiny loop of sound and just putting something in it and like we said because of the limitations of the technology obviously they can't put a whole song there but um it's cool that they tried something and they weren't again they weren't the only ones to do this with their vinyl record inner groove thing um but there was one of the more prominent examples mm-hmm. uh the who did one too i'm trying to think what because i was i was reading about that one too but i don't remember which album it was but basically they were repeating um i don't remember what the words were but basically it was the name of their record label Nice. Um, there was a YouTube video on that one too. It's kind of interesting. Since the next one is sort of similar-ish, actually no, that's not really that similar. But I'll I'll cover this one anyway since I'm the one who found it. Uh-huh. It'd be easier for me to do it. This is another one that's only possible through vinyl. Interestingly enough, so this is when the vinyl record um, has concentric grooves. Now you were just describing a few minutes ago how you know you start the needle at the outside of the record. And it very slowly spirals all the way around until it reaches the center. Mm -hmm. Um, Monty Python released an album in 1973 called The Monty Python Matching Tie and Handkerchief, which is basically a record of like some skits that they did. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, the A side was just normal, you know, one track, whatever, like it normally is. On the B side, however, they were, like I said, concentric grooves. So depending very precisely on where you started the needle, there were actually two different parallel spirals huh. written into the 
um, like the the records all the way down the that's interesting. Yeah, so depending on where you started the the needle, it would play either one or the other. And since they didn't say anything about this in the track listing, their intention was to confuse people and be like, "Wait a minute! Last time I heard, listen to this, it was completely different." <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a, a funny way to uh, to mess with their listeners. Mm-hmm. Now, because they had two parallel tracks spiraling downward on that side, each one had to be half as long. Because if, if you have a certain amount of space, if you're fitting two parallel, obviously each one is only going to be able to take up half as much space. Yeah. But so for this reason, it's actually considered a quote unquote three sided record, um, <laughs> which is something I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found, I found that was kind of, a, that's kind of a funny way to go about it. Is to to purposely confuse people with it. Yeah, that seems very Monty Python, though. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, it is. Interestingly enough, too, about this album, uh, Matching Tie and Handkerchief, I was reading that apparently it was, when they originally sold it, it was packaged with a matching tie and handkerchief, like in like a box set almost with the record. And they sold it in like gentlemen's shops or whatever, like wherever you buy like fancy men's clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, that just seems like a really bizarre thing. That they would do. And the idea was, I think the original name of it was like, ah, shit. Um, So the the full title of the album is Free Record Given Away with the Monty Python Matching Tie and Handkerchief. That's funny. Um, And so the the idea was that, I guess the joke there was that since that it was selling a, a tie and a handkerchief, but then the record was given away for free as like a bonus thing with that package. Um, rather than the record actually being like the prominent piece of it, that so is funny. It's kind of a kind of ties back a little bit. A few episodes ago, when we were talking about box sets, including cool, like additional yeah. things. I'm curious yeah. if like if people that still have, that have that, if like the tie and the handkerchief are like worth a lot of money now. I don't know because they didn't. It wasn't packaged that way forever. It was just like the yeah. original yeah. thing. So anyway, I I found the uh, I found the the concentric grooves thing to be really funny. That is pretty funny. Let's see. So yeah, that that's pretty much it. Um, mm-hmm. No, there's no really songs to play yeah, there. It's, it's, more it's just comedy stuff. skits. Yeah, um, I guess similar can be said for the the next method. I guess of hiding tracks in vinyl. This is another one that I believe can only be done with vinyl. I've never heard of it being done any other way. But it's a method called yeah. backmasking, where you record. Uh, music or lyrics in reverse so that when the record is played backwards it's it's sounds proper but it's like in a weird eerie way it's 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 yeah. a weird it's a weird method um but the funny thing is <laughs> that because of this method of like recording messages or lyrics or so or i don't think they ever did it with like an entire song no. backwards uh and then having it be discovered when you play it backwards, kind of like what we talked about with the Beatles, uh, Sgt. Pepper's album. But uh, apparently yeah. this was prominent enough in the 70s and 80s that certain politically Christian pressure groups and conspiracy theorists thought that artists were like putting demonic or satanic messages in their yeah. albums. Uh, yeah. the, reason, the reason for this, funny enough, is... A, a man by the name of Aleister Crowley, which sounds freaking awesome, who was an occultist. Uh, for those of you that don't know, occult is like worshipping of like, you know, the devil and the witches and 
magic, black magic shit. Mm. Hitler was very into it. Uh, <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, this, this, yeah. This guy, Aleister Crowley, suggested in a 1913 book that um, magicians train by listening to phonograph records reversed. I don't know if that's true or not. So basically that, that thing was uh, taken by a lot of people, like a lot of conservative people to say context, like, yeah. like, hey, we're putting the, the, the music, the music is worshiping Satan. Exactly. Now this, uh, this whole Christian, you know, investigation into music came to a head in 1990 when they took the band Judas Priest to court, accusing them of recording a backmasked message that provoked a teenager to kill themselves. Yeah, and I was reading a bit about. I I would actually really like to do an episode on that court case. Oh yeah, ha- having read a bit more about it today. Yeah. Um, the '90s was just, a very. It's really weird, super interesting. The '90s and the late '80s was a very weird time for music. That's when this happened. That's when. Oh, the censorship thing kind of took off. The censorship, exactly, with uh, the parental advisory thing stuck on CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting to kind of talk about that, like, weird legal limbo time for for a lot of music. I know we talked about the, well, obviously the copyright thing we covered pretty well. Um, But yeah, stuff like that court case, or maybe other ones that are similar to, um, where they were targeting it for very odd reasons that weren't really based in anything mm-hmm. um I, I think that'd be really interesting to cover because it's oh yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah judas priest was just one of the many bands that kind of were accused of this that's what's so funny is like 90 percent of the time this these people accused of using backmasking to put secret messages in their albums they weren't doing anything of the sort there wasn't it wasn't yeah. intentional and people were just like reading into it like the people that find, you know, Jesus and toast. Uh, yeah. Some other bands that were accused of this were Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, which apparently they did do it for real. <laughs> uh, Pink Floyd, Queen, The Eagles, The Rolling Stones, ACDC, Rush, Britney Spears, and Eminem. Yeah. Everyone um, knows Britney Spears is a big Satanist. Um, it was... Uh... It was interesting. Uh, I was I was reading about the Judas Priest thing. I don't remember who exactly it was who said this, um, mm-hmm. but you know, before the court case started, he said something like, "If it, if we were going to put secret messages in it, it would be like buy seven copies of the album and give us more money. It wouldn't be like praise Satan." Yeah, and I, I found that really funny. That like they're like, "This is so ridiculous." Yeah, like why exactly. would we even do that? So buy seven more copies of the album. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, so yeah, that's that's I guess the art of backmasking, which is another way to hide tracks on vinyl records, because you can't. That's the only medium I think that you can like play backwards. No, I'm actually. You know what? I'm going to write that down so I don't forget it. Uh, okay. Episode on backmasking. I think that'd be pretty cool. And again, in that in that case that we just described, um, there was there's not really a particular song. Yeah. I, I mean, we we could try. I try to find like a good example of one. Uh, what's the song? Stairway to Heaven is pretty widely acclaimed as one that has supposed backwards messages in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's videos you can find of people playing it forwards and backwards. Um, we don't necessarily have to play it here, but it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing for your listening pleasure. Just like us listeners. 
Yeah, I have that album on vinyl. I should bust it out and see. Oh, nice. So actually, pause for a second um, before we move on. I assume it's pretty easy to play stuff backwards on a on a turntable. I mean, do they have a why? Why would they have a function to play stuff backwards? That just it's not. Works? It's not a function to play stuff backwards. You have to similar to you know disc jockeying. You have to grab the record and spin it backwards. Oh, so you have to drag it that way. You can't just you can't play it. Like I'm sh- in reverse. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if they had if they had that function on certain turntables, but the only way I've ever been able to play stuff backwards is just to grab the record and spin it backwards at a, at a you know the same rate of speed. Mm. Um, but from what I understand, it's actually not good to do that to a record. No, it doesn't sound like not, a good idea. They're not meant to do that. Yeah because of the way the grooves are in the record, they kind of slope towards the direction of the needle. So if you're playing it backwards, it's kind of almost like grinding against the the way the needle wants to go. Right. That makes any sense. So yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't suggest that listeners, but yeah, whatever. Don't play your records backwards unless you're a DJ. And all DJs are Satanists. <laughs> exactly. All right. So the next type, um, kind of following in line with what we were saying about um, following the, the, te- the technology of music. Um, this next one is only possible to do on a CD. Mm-hmm. It takes advantage of what's called the pre-gap track. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently CDs have a blank track that precedes track one, which is basically considered like track zero. From what I can tell, it doesn't really seem to serve a lot of purpose usually. Sometimes it, they put like they don't code data into it or something, something that's not going to be listened to. But apparently music can be encoded to it somehow when you're pressing cds so some bands have actually went, gone ahead and hidden a track in this pre-gap thing and what's interesting is that most modern cd players today cannot detect this at all um mm-hmm. so you have in order to play one of these pre-gap tracks you have to have an older standalone cd player and while while you're playing the first song you press I, I not really rewind, but like, you know, seeking in reverse, basically the back button in the first track, it'll actually skip backward into track zero huh. and play it that way. So that's really the only way you can find it is that's if you're in track one and happen to press backwards. Hmm. Kind of kind of a nifty idea too, that, you know, you could do that. And it's impressive to me that while someone normally that out. <laughs> did someone figured that out. And while normally a pre-gap track, I think I said, it said it's only like two seconds of silence. Mm-hmm. that you can't actually encode it to have an entire song. That's crazy. Which is kind of weird. An example I found while doing research um, is a song called Me, White Noise by the English rock band Blur. I like them. From their album Think Tank in 2003. Um, I had never heard of them, but actually listening to this particular song, I really dig it. Let's go ahead and play a clip of that, actually. And then you Uh, interestingly, with this song, Me White Noise, um, I found that it's actually sometimes, since the original CD pressing, it's actually been um, put in other spots on the album, depending on the context. I noticed that like on Spotify, and if you try to buy like an MP3 version of the album, um, they actually include this at the beginning of the album's first track. So it's actually not hidden. It's kind of... It's, it's like not hidden anymore because it was discovered. Yeah. And 
if they want to include it, it can't be hidden, obviously. And we're actually going to kind of get to that in a, at the end of the episode. Um, so it's actually pretty prominent. It's the very first thing you hear. Or I also noticed that in some cases, um, it's been tacked on to the end of the last track mm-hmm. after about five minutes of silence, kind of harkening back to the first type that we were discussing earlier. Yeah. Um, so I found it interesting that it's actually existed in kind of different forms of the hidden track, which in the ones that we were discussing now, that's kind of the only one that I found that did that. There's a, there's one more small example I'll just mention really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, in an article I was reading, one type of hidden track that they came up with that I actually didn't even think of is cases where where a band decides to add a song to an album at the last minute um, to the point where the cover art is already in production. So it's not so much hidden as it's, it's just not listed. Well, it's... it's yeah, but I mean, in a lot of cases, it's kind of the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, one of the more popular instances of that is the song Train in Vain by The Clash, which is at the end of London Calling in 79. At the time, the sleeves for that vinyl record had already been printed, but they decided they wanted to add this track at the very end. Hmm. Um, so in that sense, it's kind of a hidden track. I think it's funny in the in the sense that it's not, it wasn't, originally intended to be a hidden track but it just became that way because of the timing mm-hmm. and i think one of the reasons this is a popular example is that because it became a top 40 hit in the u.s so it's a fairly well-known song by them which and then the kind of the history behind it was that it was originally a more or less of a hidden track that's kind of cool it's pretty cool um it's a good song too so let's play a short clip okay So um, those are really the only types of hidden tracks that I could find. And we uh, we did a fair amount of research on this topic. For once. Yeah. There probably could be a couple more um, that we didn't find. They may be a bit more obscure, though. Uh, I think we definitely covered all like the major well-known types. Yeah. So we have kind of a final th- thing to discuss with this, I think. Uh, I found an article from Atlas Obscura that kind of brought up a good point, and that's also where I got some of this content as well throughout the episode. But um, I found that they kind of brought up a funny point with the hidden track phenomenon because mm-hmm. uh, it kind of questions like whether we've reached the end it, of the the end of it now. Because they brought up, they bring up a couple points, but maybe why don't you go ahead and start? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it from uh, as as we've talked about how the hidden tracks have evolved with formats i mean the latest and possibly last format um for music is digital mp3s mm-hmm. and how do you hide a track when someone isn't necessarily even buying the entire album there or if they do you know there has to be a file there has to be a physical file for it unless you i don't know splice two songs into one music file or something but well th- I think the only way you can do it now is that original type where you add one at the attacking on it to the end at of the very end of one song. But then even then, if you look up that song, it's, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in your computer, it's going to say that song is extra long. You're going to be like, okay, 
Yeah, and I've noticed too that sometimes they don't even the like if you try to buy the di- the digital MP3s or whatever mm-hmm. online is that they don't even include them in that original form anymore. They'll actually split it up, they'll or that they aren't. Song. They'll make it another song, or they just won't include it altogether. Good point. And they there was a there was a quote, a very short quote mm-hmm. from that album or from the album that uh, that article I was mentioning. They say. When everything's a file and Siri can dig it up for you, if you ask nicely enough, there's simply nowhere to hide anymore. And they were talking about like Spotify and everything. And like, we've reached a point that we can basically pinpoint any music that we want to listen to and listen to it immediately in in an age where everything is so searchable. Like there's not really anywhere to hide tracks. anymore. Yeah. I mean, even the ones that we found, we found all of these tracks very easily on YouTube. So, Mm-hmm. It's like nothing is left to be mysterious anymore because guaranteed someone found it and not only found it but put it on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Another point that they made, not even necessarily the digital format issue, was something else. Uh, they said, "quote It's time for musicians and labels to rethink why they hide what they hide." Um, and that was said by Scott Sutherland in a 1999 New York Times essay. Uh, he con- he continues to say, "If most artists." have a hard enough time filling even half the space on a 74-minute CD with compelling material, why bother hiding something equally uncompelling? And if a song is good enough to be the best thing on the disc, why hide it at all? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think the point they were they were making at the end of that article was that bands kind of do it now, you know, generally just because it is a thing, not for any really particular reason other than just for sake of itself. Mm-hmm. They hide so, something for the sake of hiding it, not because it has any special meaning or because it's, I don't know, a song that they didn't want on, on their track listing. It, they just do it because it's something that's been done, so they figure, why not we do it too? Yeah. Um, and so the argument they were making in that article is that the, it's it's kind of lost its meaning, not, mm-hmm. even, like, not even considering the the format of MP3 or whatever. It's just from a more more philosophical standpoint, I guess that it's not really used in the same way that it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's not used and and it really can't be because of the format. Uh, Even CDs. I mean, as you said, you can hide, hide them in the kind of, you know, space before song one, Mm -hmm. but um, even then it's, I don't know because music, because listening to music is so much less of a tactile experience Mm-hmm. When you're not when you're listening to it on uh, digitally as opposed to a record, the idea of even finding or discovering hidden tracks becomes a lot less like you found buried treasure type thing. I guess you know when you're playing a record and it's a physical thing and you discover, wait a second, this physical thing that I'm holding has this secret locked away in it that I've discovered. You know that that means a lot more to the listener than like, oh look, I you know played a song on you know, Windows Media Player for too long and there's some extra shit. <laughs> that's, that's a really good point, is that not, like, it doesn't, even if they do hide something, and even if they do have a good reason for it, it doesn't really mean anything when we find it nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I uncovered it. It's more just like, like you oh. said, I just left it running too long and it, it just started playing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where the future takes us in terms of musical formats if we go back to something but more physical 
or if it'll you know be digital forever. But you I don't know, know. I it's mean, hard. It's hard to say. LPs are coming back, but I don't think they're going to ever completely take over. I think they're going to be a niche thing for people who like more more of the physicality of music. Yeah. So actually, um, on that note, there may you know because a lot of bands, modern bands, do release stuff on at least a limited number of vinyl. You know, maybe they might make a hidden track of some kind that only people of the vinyl can find. I was find. actually going to quickly mention um, oh. that because so so much now, a lot of current artists, if they do uh, press vinyl of their album, mm. they, they're usually done in these huge vinyl factories, usually in like eastern blocks of Europe because, you know, cheap production, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's hard to you know, notify these factories like, hey, we're going to put a secret track in this vinyl that you're pressing for us. And they're like, what? Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, But for certain artists that happen to own their own label and yeah. can press their own vinyl, like uh, White Stripes frontman Jack White, hmm. he owns his own vinyl pressing factory slash studio in, uh, I want to say, Tennessee. He produced a special 2014 pressing of his album Lazaretto um, and all of them were produced you know in his factory they weren't sent over to you know Europe or whatever to be to be produced mm-hmm. um, this album that he released had hidden tracks on it recorded in 45 and 78 rpm so you didn't even like discover them if you played it on a regular 30 rpm um, Interesting. He had secret tracks that were literally hidden underneath the center label of a record that shows the song listing. Like you have to peel that up, <laughs> and there's tracks under it. That's pretty there's cool. More grooves. Um, there's a song kind of similar to how we were talking about uh, the Monty Python track. There's a specific song where there's two different grooves hmm. um, that eventually kind of converge. So depending on where you put it for that. Uh, track you can hear the beginning of the song just one drink as either acoustic or electric oh and then they merge and then it kind of it's yeah. just the intro oh dude that's super cool and what's even weirder is side a of the record plays from the inside out with what's called a reverse groove so wow. he just went all fucking out on this album and just put like every different way you could hide a secret track or make the <laughs> album weird in some way he's just like fuck it that's super cool um, which actually really makes me want to buy this album. I don't have this album. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you did uh, have it. But... No, sadly. I have uh, White Strip's original album, but I don't have this new one by Jack White. That's but super cool. It's just funny because, yeah, exactly as you're mentioning, because vinyl is becoming a niche thing. True, you know, fans of the medium probably have a lot of appreciation for when artists do stuff like this because it reminds them of like, oh yeah, when I discovered such and such. Uh and it kind of is bringing back the old way of hiding stuff. So maybe so, maybe mm-hmm. it will kind of come full circle, no pun intended. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's cool. So that means like, it, it, in, even if we do stay in digital formats forever, assuming that, you know, the physical formats kind of go along parallel with it, that it can exist in some form. Yeah, hmm. for sure. 
So yeah, I don't know. I thought that was nifty that you know, as late as 2014, that's still being done. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if like, and this is just speculation here. I wonder if like some at some point someone will figure out how to you would have to like re-encode a file or something or do something with a file in such a way that it would release like some other song that's hidden in the file somehow. Well, you know how they, they compress music formats. I wonder if there's a way to hide a file that like only appears in like the raw sort of flack format of an audio recording, but then once compressed, it like disappears. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Well, it's only included as like data that yeah. isn't played. Yeah. Or something. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Magic. So yeah, uh, we'll leave that to the audio scientist peoples to figure that out, I guess. Scientists with test tubes trying out all these different <laughs> I just imagine like mu- I just imagine music notes and test tubes just swirling around. We're making music. <laughs> Good God. So do you have anything else to say about uh, about this before you wrap it up? Um, no. I think we covered pretty much the entire history of it, so. Yeah. And then, as we said at the beginning, I mean, this was way more interesting than I thought it was going to be, so uh, I'm glad we did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this little history lesson of hidden tracks. Yes. Fun fact, listeners, if you play this backwards... You can uh, hear us worshipping uh, Donald Trump. God. You do, no, you just hear a speech of Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm, this, I'm, te- I'm tempted this, to, like put some kind of message backwards if you could like somehow sneak that in i would love you i don't even know how to... you know play what? something backwards on like soundcloud uh no well but all the episodes are downloadable so someone could theoretically download it and then play it backwards on like audacity or something yeah that's true. tell you what i'll i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll even tell you listeners um when we play like the little outro music at the end of this mm-hmm. we can uh, we'll record like a little message They'll be played backwards, but then you have to download it and play the back- file backwards to hear the message. How about that, Kyle? Okay, let's do that. All right, so you can, uh, you can, if you're not already doing it, you can follow us uh, at SoundCloud.com/slash/getyourfunk. Uh, you can comment on individual tracks, or you can send us a message. We love getting listener mail, even though it's never happened before, but we love the idea of it. Yeah. <laughs> Same goes for Facebook.com/slash/getyourfunk. We will be on, like we said, we were, we are going to have our uh, our summer hiatus starting now for about a month until uh, late July or so. Um, but we'll probably still post songs and little fun things on the Facebook page in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's not actual episodes, at least we'll we'll still be around. So well, you can still feel feel free to talk to us for sure. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's the end. Thanks for listening and. Uh, I guess we'll we'll be back in about a month, listeners. Have a good summer. Bye. Bye. Perversion is having a bad sentence. Yeah.